All right, boys. It's time to spread them and get to the naked truth. Welcome to The Naked Truth, hosted by me, Lori Corrigan, and sponsored by Snake Charmer Men's Body Waxing. This show pays tribute to the valuable contributions men make both personally and professionally. It's a safe zone for guys to speak their minds amidst the current social climate where they struggle to be heard. Today, I'm very happy to be sitting across from Chandler's Chief of Police, Sean Duggan, who has been a longtime key player in the art of aligning law enforcement authority with community empowerment. Aside from the professional characteristics he's honed over these past decades, Chief Duggan came into his career already equipped with a number of intangible traits that have elevated him to a higher tier of leadership. Thanks to everyone sitting in with us today as he and I dig a little deeper into the measures he's taken that led to Chandler being recognized as 2017's fifth safest city in the country to raise a family. Welcome, Chief. Well, thank you, Laurie. Very uh, happy to be here and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. What I've noticed, I, I'm, I'm just a, an eight-month resident and business owner here in Chandler. In those eight months, it's this is a place I've wanted to be all my life and didn't even realize it. I didn't know a place, a city can exist the way this does, where alignment between and among uh, the city, the Chamber of Commerce, the Police Department, Fire Department, all these agencies come together to be one to make this fantastic community. And you're at the helm of it. And you, there are many words that people have used to describe your character, doing a bit of research on you. Just a handful of them that keep getting repeated over and over. You're a born leader. Your dad, Miles, had a little bit to do with that, and we'll talk more about that later. You're grounded. And sitting across from you right now, you have, uh, you exude a sense of peace and calm. That's how I'm reading it anyway. Right, let's see how I look after an hour. <laughs> okay. I take that challenge. Uh, you're private, yet you're easily accessible. You're not standoffish from my perspective. Loads of integrity. Loads. And all of that leads to empowering others. I'm going to add warm and engaging to that list. You empower hundreds of PD employees by cultivating what you call the leadership pipeline. Please let us know what that is. Well, th th well, thank you for all those uh, kind words. Uh, certainly appreciate that. But the leadership pipeline is just preparing the next bench of leaders to uh, take the helm and to drive the organization. Uh, we are in a constant state of transition, and we have people retiring and leaving the profession. And at the same time, we have new people coming in. So what are we doing to ensure that we have that pipeline in place to continue to do the positive things and have that forward momentum. So it's not relying on any particular person. So it's kind of institutionalized. So at the very lowest level to the highest level or of the organization, always looking at the next step in the future and ensuring that we are prepared to uh, carry on with this, uh, what has been some very positive momentum. And you brought up the good point of this transition in the department coming at one time and coming to a huge head with retirees and what was the other component? Well, we have people retiring. Uh, we have a very small segment of people that are on board and maybe decide this is not the profession for them and mm -hmm. they go elsewhere. But that is uh, unusual. Uh, we have people that uh, get hurt in the line of duty mm -hmm. and they have to leave because of an, an injury. And then we have people that for a different variety of family reasons may, may leave or they, they move out of state. Those are primarily 
help people leave the organization. But the number one, the, the most by far, is people leaving after uh, contributing 20, 30 years of, of service. So they're leaving uh, at the top of their game and in very good standing. But people leave, and it's a continuous um, mm-hmm. uh, revolving door. And in the five years since I've been chief, we have hired 44% of the organization. So that's almost half the department is new. So if you wow. left Chandler five years ago and you came back today, it'd be almost unrecognizable, especially at our leadership levels where our sergeants, our lieutenants, uh, they're all relatively new in their positions. We have 17 lieutenants, for example, and I've had the privilege to promote, to promote 15 of them. We have 43 sergeants. I promoted 37 of them. We have five commanders. I promoted four of them. We have two assistant chiefs. I promoted both of them. So incredible transition at the, at the leadership rank. And that, it, it never stops. That's when you, that was one of the things I read you were faced with when you first came on. So that, right. And that was a bit of a seasonal thing, a uh, seasonal thing. Um, that's where we were, the chapter of the department at that time. We just came up with 20, 30 years ago, there were spurts of hiring surges. And now we're at the end of that and people are, are retiring. So we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of people leave. So that's a lot of institutional knowledge. That's a lot of, uh, they know our culture, uh, and a lot of the wisdom and experience. So those are major challenges. But at the same time, bringing new people in, they only know the now. So if you want to shape culture and create, other than starting an apartment from scratch, which is not realistic, uh, this is pretty close to it as far as when you look at the, the numbers and, and the percent of people that, that are new to the department. So there are people who have been here five years and they only know what they've experienced. So they are helping it's collectively, but they only know the culture that they have experienced so far. So it's an opportunity, a great opportunity to create and, and shape. And that's what you're looking at as it's an opportunity. It's not a detriment to the department or to the community. Right. And, and when you lose someone with 30 years of knowledge, that's a, that's a setback, but that is the natural progression of things. So we're prepared for that. And part of the way to prepare for that is to have that pipeline, that bench in place. So you're not left standing when that person leaves that position. And there are any one person can help infuse that knowledge. It's not always going to come down just from the chief. You're going to have all the rest who have been there, who are maybe halfway to their retirement, who know the culture, and it's it's the segue. Right. Most well, certainly it's not the chief. It's one person. But we can set the tone and the understanding and the importance of creating that pipeline, and then other leaders in the department carry it out. Okay. Thank you. It's been quite a road for you since those early childhood days with your dad, Miles. Um, when you watched him, he was a, a New York City police officer, and he'd leave home every day to go save the streets of Harlem, right? <laughs> was there ever a doubt in your mind that you wouldn't carry on that legacy? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, there were, from the beginning, I was kind of drawn to the profession, the noble profession, from the uniform to putting bad guys in jail and certainly helping people and hearing the stories and being around that atmosphere. It just made a, a an immediate and early connection with me. So did I know at the time that's what I was going to do? Um, maybe, maybe not, but in, inside that was always there. And mm-hmm. that I think it manifested as I got older. Did he dissuade you from doing that? No, no, not at all. Um, uh, but probably wasn't a big fan of if I was to work in New York. Uh, he had spent, you know, it's the sixties and seventies and Brownsville, Brooklyn and Bronx and uh, Harlem and uh, very difficult times, mm-hmm. very, very different times. Wow. So you think about that and then you think where you are here. 
and how on my recent ride along, the most important thing we did was um, release a person who was locked inside the U-Haul on a Saturday night. <laughs> okay. That's what we did. It was great. There were a couple other calls, um, but I, I had a great time with the officer. Just I, I had an opportunity to learn about him and, and his vision of what how he sees himself growing with the department because he was one of your newer ones. So to me, it, it was not a failure. I was told to take Saturday night on the overnight shift so I can see blood and guts, and I didn't want to see blood and guts, so it worked out well. Right. And that's, uh, that is the nature of the profession. Uh, you have no idea what's going to happen and what else was happening in the other precincts. I can't speak to, but, um, the, the, the diversity of the job is profound. It's whatever you can imagine. Any type of call, we go to it. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no other profession domestically that, um, has to deal with the, uh, the variety of calls. Some are routine, some are expected, and some are just just absolutely crazy. And you can't really put you them in any kind of box. You, you don't pick and choose. You yeah. have to you have to be able to handle just right now, imagine the craziest thing and don't sit on the radio. Just imagine the craziest <laughs> thing. Um, we will have gone to that. You are trained to respond to everything and even those you don't have any idea could be a thing. You're, you're, we're trained to respond to the unknown. So it's, uh, the first order of business is public safety. So containment, whatever it is, make sure it doesn't get any bigger. Slow it down, get the right resources to address it. So whether it's a shoplifting or a mass casualty event or a neighbor dispute or again, just something off the wall crazy, the, 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 the tenets of the response are relatively the same. Mm -hmm. The scope's going to be different. Right. And you decide that in an instant how that scope will be. Right. What stood out about Chandler that drew you to apply when the chief's position became available? Well, I was an assistant chief with Scott Still um, uh, prior to that, and I'd been with them about 28 years at that time. And there, there are chief positions open every day throughout the country. Mm -hmm. There's 18,000-ish type of departments from very tiny to obviously very large. But I would argue there are very few crown jewel Departments. So I came from a very good city, a uh, city with strong values and uh, commitment to training and professionalism and accountability. And so I had no interest in going somewhere that needed to be fixed. Mm. Uh, that's not where my I'd want to spend my time. I wanted to go somewhere that had very similar values and cultures that was high performing and just help elevate that to a whole different level. So take good to great versus trying to create good. If that makes sense. So. Um, the prior chief retired, announced uh, her retirement. Um, this was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And I, had, um, I hadn't I applied anywhere. Um, and I wasn't even sure if that's what I wanted to do as far as the next chapter. Um, but the, the alignment was just so, so, so good personally and, and professionally. You were happy where you were, but you saw your vision right there in front of I you. I was very happy where I was. Um, but I did my due diligence. Mm -hmm. As much as they interviewed me, I interviewed sure. the, the, the city. So I made a number of trips here, whether it's uh, Maury's Barbershop or mm -hmm. uh, restaurants or I, from Dr. Castile, the school district to uh, the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I met a lot of people and I was interviewing them and always asking them, what do you think of your police? And the universal response was they were proud of their police. And that's certainly a community that I want to be part of. And you feel you've achieved what your initial goal was when you first came on? Well, I or? think the initial goal was to get hired. So <laughs> okay, then <laughs> yes to that. that question. Um, 
but I don't think so uh, it's a moving, well, it's a, it's a moving scale. Uh, yeah. If you achieve something, then it's over. This is never over. And, um, our world is changing exponentially every minute. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. I mean, it's just crazy state of change. So it's never over. Um, but to be here and to be part of the community, I certainly feel part of the community and uh, I could not be more proud of our department and, and, and our city. There's something uniquely different about Chandler. And um, that's still a, a draw. And I, I sense that every day. I mean, e even today, uh, second officer, we were meeting for breakfast and um, someone ahead of us paid for our, our breakfast. So um, it does happen a lot. I, I read it on social media all the time. It, it's that, but it's the thank yous. The thank yes. yous happen every day. And that's energy to the officers. Um, so the money, I mean, that, that's all important. But the most important thing is the support of the community. And um, knowing that they're proud of what you do, and that doesn't exist in every community in the country, but it is uh, definitely exists in a great extent in in Chandler. I mean, they're proud of their schools, they're proud of their sports, they're proud of their history, uh, and they're proud of their police, and um, that's uh, that's that's pretty amazing. Our job is to give them opportunities every day to uh, make them proud of us, and they do, and and you do, and they are uh, just recently with an issue. There's been a bit of outcry from surrounding communities in the in the country. People spouting off and giving their two cents to something in a community they don't have all the information to, and every one is being shot down by this community here in Chandler, saying, "You've got it wrong." Right, and and without going to great detail about that event, um, there are other events, and if you have capital built over time they know their police and depending on what the incident is there's laws that need protected there's victim rights that need to be protected there's children that need to be protected so we may not be able we may not be in a position to disclose information mm -hmm. so um and we've learned the hard way over the years it seems like the first people to get something on the internet that's the first the bit of information. Yes. So we do a much better job at that. We can talk about that in, in a bit. We do a much better job. But we also have to follow the law. We follow our policies. And we follow the expectations of, of the community. So we were able to um, use through technology to release other information. And that um, really casts a, uh, a light on the event. And a lot of people uh, understood what we did and, 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 and the why. Um, but we follow the law, and we will always follow the law. Well, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Perhaps, but you're prepared but to. We follow deal the with law. It. Yes, and I mean you, not us. me. I follow the law. You follow the law too, right. but you are criticized no matter what you do, right. and there and, always will be that. Right. So there's certainly times where something may be controversial, and if we do something wrong, we'll be the first one to uh, to, to own it, which is very important. Um, and very but when rare. we're right, um, we're going to own it too. Mm -hmm. And uh, the overwhelming majority of time, we are we are right. And in this particular case, we put some information out, and very transparent, and you make your own conclusion. Exactly. Um, but we, uh, I think, what you're referring to with this lots, there were a lot of out of state uh, people commenting, maybe on social media, that mm -hmm. may be devoid of the facts or care not to look at the facts and. And there's different camps, and I understand that because at the end of the day, we're everyone's police, but we follow the law, and that's you know where we're going to be, and you know what path we're we're, we're always going to take. It's interesting. I I personally think uh, it's just conditioning from other communities whose police department is not as 
is high in ethics and performance and connection and empowerment. I, I know it's a, it's a business plan that can be followed by any community. It's not, I'm not going to ask you to house and wise. It's just an alignment, right? Of, of people. You are very specific. The type of person you want on your staff. Well, our success as a police agency, any police department's success is based on the level of trust and support and respect they have from their community. There's just over 500 police employees and we police the city of over 260,000 people. There's no humanly possible way that 500 people can police effectively a city of a quarter million people unless they want to be policed and they work with us. So that's the cornerstone. So anything we do is based on that premise. So what do we do to ensure that we're respected and we're working together? So that's, that's the foundation of everything. And if you're an officer or you're an aspiring officer and you want to work for that type of organization, then we're your department. Uh, but we are very selective and, uh, and, and, and we can be, and we absolutely should be. Uh, the citizens expect nothing less. So the people that we bring on board and I meet every single employee, whether sworn civilian, that's the very last part of the process. It's just an interview with me, just kind of like we're doing here. Um, uh, it's important because uh, our people determine our success or not. It's not the technology. It's not the equipment. It's uh, it's our people making decisions. So if you're aligned with our vision and our philosophy, then uh, we want you aboard. If you're not, then uh, you can easily go somewhere else. And it doesn't take long for you to t- to determine the words aren't necessarily going to be the truth that comes out of their mouth. There's a... Well, the, the words are important, but by the, t- by the time they get to me, they've been in the um, the vetting process for months. Oh, okay. So we have a very uh, comprehensive and robust and detailed personnel unit that conducts the background investigations from the polygraph to the personnel interviews to the medical to the psychological to the oral boards. So they've gone through all that. Oh. I'm the last. Mm-hmm. I'm, the, I'm the last step You're between the yes and the, and the yes. no. But overwhelmingly, because of that, deep um, vetting process. By the time they get to me, they've already been, this is, these are the, the folks that we want to hire. But, and I, over the years, uh, between sworn and civilians, it's got to be close to 300 people that we brought on board. Um, there's maybe a handful, two or three, maybe four, um, that didn't get past my interview. Uh, but 99% do because of our very, uh, very, very skilled vetting process. So they can have the tactical skills, but if there's the, the intangible components, uh, your, your PD is very, very, uh, approachable as you are. Do you model your, your staff out sort of what you, your dad taught you? Are you in that position now where you can help the up and comers be the person your dad helped you be? I would, I would say everyone in the department is modeling their behavior. So you're modeling what you do every day is an example to others. So whether you're an 18-month officer or you're a 32-year officer or you're a 25-year dispatcher or you're a three-year um, ID tech working out of the lab, uh, people are always looking at you. You're always on stage externally and internally. So mm-hmm. every day you're working on your personal brand and reputation. Mm-hmm. So you control that. So what are we modeling to others in the department? And once you understand that and you know that you do have control, it's kind of empowering because you own your brand. And if there's a perception that maybe is not congruent with your brand, then 
maybe do some self-reflection and, uh, but time and space, you have opportunities every single day to market yourself and be human and be human. So do the right thing, make good decisions, treat people the right way internally, externally, and, uh, uh, not all the time, but most of the time, good things tend to happen. We're in the business of bad things happening sometimes. So yes. I'm not painting a, uh, I don't want to make paint this, um, all flowery, um, no, position. I don't think but that's, think that. that's a small percentage of what we do, uh, what we're forced to do, what we have to encounter. Um, uh, but the majority of time we have time and space to, uh, um, to market being civil and being professional and being accountable. That, that, that part's very important. So that segues to my next question. Um, even though police work is reactive by nature, Chandler PD is extraordinarily proactive in crime prevention with a robust community education program. From the casual coffee with a cop experience to public ride-alongs to the in-depth 13-week Citizens Police Academy, which I'm currently in and absolutely loving and will be sad when it's over, your department offers a wide scope of opportunities for residents to more personally interact with officers. Key component of this, I've learned, is that the the Citizens Academy is a springboard for many of your volunteers and officers when those people had no idea they were even interested. But after they get through with that particular program, right. they're on board. Well, Chandler has always had a deep history of um, community engagement. So that's, been, again, one of the draws why I'd want to be part of this department. Uh, so to have that and just add to it and take it to a different level, it's just been, uh, it's been incredible, a journey. Uh, but those are important. So we have, you mentioned programs and our officers every week, they go to different elementary schools and just sit in and have lunch with the kids. Um, they work at ICANN. They're part of the Boys and Girls Club. They're, they're embedded everywhere throughout the city. You'll see uniform officers or you'll see them off duty and their coaches and their, and their, their mentors. So very, very important. But the programs certainly are meaningful. Uh, but it's not just the programs. Every officer is a community policing officer. Mm -hmm. So it's a philosophy. Again, are you aligned with that philosophy? Do you mind going out and having lunch with the kids? If you don't see that part of your job, again, uh, you can go somewhere else. Uh, that's what we do because we're building that trust and relationship. And it, it's the whole collective experience. But the community engagement is huge. And it's, it's the responsibility of every employee to be that engagement, to have that level of, of engagement and knowing that I have an opportunity right now to win someone's or to earn some trust. We call those moments of truth. So every day there are thousands of opportunities in our city for our employees to have an experience with someone from the community. Whether you're just driving down the street in a car, you both stop at a red light and they look over. Well, most people don't look over if the yeah. cops next to them. Yes. Uh, but if they did, um, <laughs> what do you do? Do you smile? Do you wave? Do you... That could be that person's only contact with the police officer in their life. We tend to forget that. We deal with a very small percentage of people, uh, criminals, victims of crime, and probably larger percentage of people making a uh, bad decision when, when they're driving. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still, when you look at the, the ratio, it's a small percentage. So how else are we connecting with the other folks that may never in a lifetime have an opportunity to engage a cop? Um, there are thousands of opportunities every day. So the way you look, what you say, how you say it, and um, just recognize that. If you realize that, that puts you in control. You're empowered to influence and, 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 and project. Or you just robotically go through day to day, and like most people do. But if you know that you can actually influence that, 
then you're back in control. I've seen so many people go up to officers. Well, I've just been observing since I'm new here. Uh, and every one of them, genuine smile, shake hands. And it's usually uh, a young teenage, really curious about law enforcement, maybe a little uncomfortable with himself. And and there's a, there's no power stance going on with the hands on the hips from the officers. It's a it's a hey, yeah, let's talk. What do you what do you want to know? So um, the PD allows them. Chandler PD allows officers to be themselves and to perhaps it does influence, like you're saying. And it would be great to know how many of those random twenty minute phone or uh, street chats that go on turn into someone on your team. Right, either on the team or on a different path. Mm-hmm. And it just, oh, I mean, yeah. every day. There are opportunities to make a difference. And we talk, it's not a cliche, it's true. Mm. And we talk to people every day. And sometimes you can even change someone's life for the better, but you don't have, I mean, some, the, the reality is we don't know all of them, but we know some of them. And they're very powerful when someone comes up and meets an officer and, you know, we had that conversation or you arrested me. And we've had these and we have people right back that uh, it's changed their life. They were addicted to drugs or, whatever, and they went down a different path and it just fundamentally changed their life. So that's, um, why do you do this job? That's a pretty good feeling, especially when it gets reported back at you. You know, yes. three years ago, and you may not remember, but you talked to me and you yes. said this to me and uh, it resonated. Some may join the profession, but the reality is most, most don't, but they may become a better citizen. And that's, that's, that's what counts. And that's the thread in the uh, Citizens Academy is, Every one of uh, the officers or the executives who's whoever had that class that particular week, uh, there's they've said the same thing. It's the approach. If you can bring someone to a level of calm and comfort in your presence, then you've achieved something that's going to stick with them forever. And why why be an idiot? Why not make the better of the situation? by making that connection so that person then can start that pebble effect in the water. And even if it's in some type of uh, non-mentoring, more of a criminal response, uh, it's still a tool. And if you have, again, if you have time, if you have space, then uh, the the buzzword now is uh, um, de-escalation. But we've always practiced that, but it's a buzz term now. Um, But we certainly put more emphasis on it. Um, cause it's tactically sound and it's safer for the officer if they can minimize the need to use force. Cause sometimes we're compelled to use force based on the actions of the subject. Um, uh, but if they can minimize that, it's in their best interest as well. Cause unlike TV, when cops, when there's a fight, uh, cops get hurt. Everyone gets hurt. And it's just, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a no win. Do you want to speak on the lovely media? portrayal because I, for men's body waxing, I, I always bring up Steve Carell's 40 year old virgin chest waxing. Cause that's, such <laughs> I have no idea where this is going. Baloney. Go it's not going anywhere. It's just a, a little <laughs> factoid, but as far as wrong impressions, it's always going to be something you have to fight is media just because it doesn't well, make a good scene. If somebody isn't being harassed by the law enforcement and they get, and it's easy to get hung up on that. Uh, but you have to understand it, and we do a better job internally 
uh, with our folks trying to get understanding because yes, it could be very frustrating, but the world's a different place. Technology, um, we can talk about that too. It just fundamentally changed the nature of policing. But one component of that are um, cell phones or the phone because now everyone is a reporter mm -hmm. and they're not bound by any, any oath. <laughs> um, and if you show, if you record something, and it could be a very accurate depiction of what happened in those 12 seconds or 32 seconds, but it's devoid of the context. It's missing the hour lead up, whatever. Um, that's, uh, it, it's ugly to watch, especially if it's a use of force incident where we are forced to uh, uh, take action. They're ugly to watch, they're ugly to be part of, and um, uh, it stirs a lot of emotion. Uh, but unlike any other profession, domestically, we are authorized to use force. That's part we are uh, required to do that, to do that at times. We are forced to do that at times. So no other profession does that. So when it happens, it's not pleasant to look at, and it's not certainly not pleasant to be part of. And when you record that, and people see that maybe for the first time, it, it could be stunning. Um, but without the context, uh, it could be um, maybe misunderstood. So we as a profession uh, have done, but continue to need to do a much better job providing the context. Uh, but that's a paradigm shift for policing because the last thing we want to do is compromise investigation and compromise victims' rights. And I think in the past, uh, when a police chief would wake up in the morning, the last thing they want to do is be on, on the news or on, on TV. But that's been to their detriment. We learned that from a number of incidents nationally over the years where the police were slow to respond. And if you don't, someone else is going to respond and they're going to fill that gap. They're going to create a narrative that 99% of the time will be wrong or misguided. Or, and um, it's out. It's hard to take that back. So we much, we must do a much better job getting something out without compromising the integrity of the investigation and while protecting the rights of the victims. Are the body cameras helping you in that? Uh, body cameras are a uh, absolute game changer. Mm -hmm. um, but Chandler, we were fortunate in many regards. Um, very supportive uh, 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 city where we started in early 2014. Uh, we recognized the technology to collect compelling evidence to um, um, possibly reduce complaints, to possibly reduce the need to use force, um, but certainly to show transparency and maybe adjudicate cases faster, which in essence helps victims so they are traumatized less. So we saw the, the camera as a tool to help in all those aspects. And we started a incremental approach. So we started with the beta test. I think we started with seven cameras first. And as you can imagine, a lot of pushback by officers. And if you can imagine going to work tomorrow and your boss says effective tomorrow onward, from this point forward, forever, you will wear a camera on your shoulder. Uh, that's a cultural shift for any profession. So that took some time and space, and we had time and space. So we started with seven, started with 14, then went up to, I think, 21, eventually capped it around 40. And we did that for about a year. So we let the technology speak for itself. And the users would tell their coworkers. This helped me with this investigation to catch, capture that compelling statement from that victim or the suspect said whatever and that was caught on tape or we observed whatever. So that permeated through the department. And because we had time, we kind of let that simmer. 
and the officers by the end were requesting the cameras. Um, not, not all of them, but many of them. And by now, this is four years later, um, I don't, I haven't met an officer yet that would not agree that the cameras changed their, uh, uh, changed their, their jobs for the better. It's more work. You have to tag pictures. You have to, uh, uh, there's docking stations, there's software you have to go through. So there's, there's mechanics that added more work to the officers, but overwhelmingly, um, it's been one of the greatest things. And the one thing I, I didn't worry about whatsoever is that it would, there's no, it would catch us to be some type of compromise. If we have an officer doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons, I'm the first person that wants to know. And so are their partners. But the reality is that is infrequent. And I mean 99.9, not 90% of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time that is infrequent. And when it does happen, we all want to know. Because the last thing we want is someone else tarnishing our reputation that we work very hard um, to create every single day. So um, the cameras have been incredible. And uh, we've been able to capture incidents where we've used force. We've been ever able to capture compelling statements. And uh, it's uh, part of their daily kit right now. And it's been, it's been a game changer. And I think some people may have expected something else. And there's a bit of a pushback. Um, if you follow certain um, arenas um, where maybe the, the camera is improving, proving what? <laughs> the, the camera is going to show what the camera is going to show. And it's not a panacea. And it doesn't show everything. It doesn't have line of sight or, or smell. or mm -hmm. So it doesn't capture everything. But it's one more tool. And the fact is, the overwhelming fact is, it's showing that the officers overwhelmingly are doing the right thing on a continuous basis and often in a very, very difficult situation, very hard situation that, quite frankly, very few people are willing to, to do. And it's not a case of, okay, well, I'm on camera, so I have to do the right thing. It is, oh, I'm doing the right thing. And the camera's on. You, on you can't camera. pretend that. Yeah. Um, and your action often is dictated by the events. Sometimes you have time to think, and sometimes you're reacting within seconds based on stimulus in front of you. Mm -hmm. And it's not, so, it's not a judge of character. It's not turning a bad cop into a good cop. And, that's to, and I have heard from many, there's no bad cop in Chandler. I, I would certainly agree with that, because if, if there was a bad cop, um, I believe I'd know about it, mm -hmm. and that person would not be the Chandler Police Department. And I would know because their colleagues would um, uh, not tolerate that. Mm -hmm. No, that, that is not the... We're humans. We make mistakes, and people have different personalities, and we're humans, and we're fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers, and uh, um, sometimes you have a bad day. But not in a sense it's going to compromise the job. Right. But we are human, and uh, sometimes people tend to forget, forget that too. Very much so. You're up on a pedestal that's cracking constantly. But we ask to be on the pedestal. You do. So there's a higher expectation from our officers. And that's, again, full circle or full circle where Chandler stands out in the nation. That's only one stat I had from 2017. I haven't even read anything from current, but I did watch your video of everything that transpired over the last year. Did you have enough time to put everything in there? Because there was, that was packed. Right. Um, but quite... Um, Literally, there have been dozens and dozens of significant accomplishments. So we try to pare that down and uh, the things that maybe have the most community impact. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we're, we're, we're proud. And all those happen because of people. Uh, none of them would happen without people working very hard, from our IT folks to our crime techs to our, our, our scientists and, of course, our, our communication folks. Um, you know, our call takers, they have a very, very hard job. 
uh, just filtering within seconds and pushing out such critical information to the officers as their lifeline. And then we have our, our records clerks. I mean, it's, um, uh, as you experience in the Citizens Academy, you see your officers are the most forward-facing, yeah. obviously, on the street, but they're supported by a huge network of professional staff that allow them to do their job. Yes. Yeah, like the doctor and his nurses. It's pretty pretty similar to that. Please speak to the uh, president's 21st century po- policing report and how it relates to Chandler. Well, back in 2000, uh, I think it was 14 or 15, 15, we had the uh, events, or 14, I think, fall of that year. Um, they had the events in Ferguson, which drew uh, national attention, international attention. And as a result of those very complex events there, uh, then President Obama convened a group of academics, some police professionals, uh, and community activists, and they charted a, created a document over the course of maybe six months, uh, called the President's Task Force on 21st Century Report. And it identified about 50 action items under four or five basic pillars, trans, um, procedural justice, uh, uh, officer health and wellness, equipment, technology, and community engagement. So under those main themes, there were these different action items that was reported out as a, a bit of a best practice document. So um, the thing that the taken thing that most people probably don't know is I mentioned earlier, there's about 18,000 different departments in the country. Um, so policing in America is very diverse and varied and differs, differs by region, differs by state um, and, and size. So you have the largest department in New York with over 30,000 uh, officers. We have 335 officers and there's about 60-ish of these major cities and maybe 300 of cities like Chandler, the Scottsdale's, the Mesa's, or the Tempe, um, Irvine, California, Plano, Texas, those type of cities. And then you have, and that drops off because the average size police department is 21 or 22 officers. So when this report came out, it tried to maybe reach down to the lowest denominator. Here are the basic um, action items that departments um, that they suggest should possibly be ad- adhering to. So we looked at that and we were humming. We're already in alignment with nearly all of those recommendations, but there were a couple that, that uh, we did take and we implemented uh, that we had not been doing before. Um, so as an example, posting data on our website. So our use of force, our demographics of who we arrest, when we arrest, the type of crimes, our response times. Um, so all those data points are on our website as a result of a recommendation made on that task force. But especially the other technologies and equipment and training and, uh, and officer safety, uh, we are uh, a van- at the vanguard already. And uh, so it was a, uh, it, uh, it, it demonstrated that we are doing things right and we're doing the right things. Uh, but there were a couple areas, uh, very few, uh, that we weren't doing that we did incorporate because they made sense and they were certainly a, a good idea. But the transparency was one and ensuring that our general orders, why do the officers do this? Why do they park their car here when this happened or, or whatever it is? Well, those are in our general orders and all that's available on, on our website as well. So the transparency stuff, we wanted to make sure that uh, we we, uh, were, we were in line with that. And the task force helped us to, to reflect inward 
to ensure that we were adhering the best practices and then uh, enable us to even go to a, a higher level. Do you consider Chandler a, a sort of a bedroom community like Awatuki, where it might be? Uh, are there communities more accept- accepting to how you are policing, how you run, how Chandler's run? I mean, why why is Chandler so different in a good way? Why is it not duplicated elsewhere? What are the components that keep it from being duplicated elsewhere? Well, I think there are many departments um, that are very similar to Chandler, especially in the metropolitan area. Um, um, certainly the East Valley, um, you know, we're very, very similar. Um, our standards, our training, our equipment, our, our officers routinely work together, whether it's on different task forces or investigations. Uh, the chiefs meet on a routine basis. Uh, we have each other's number at our fingertips, so we're always talking to each other, um, whether it's just give me like to share, run something by you versus uh, collectively working as a group, coming up with policy. So whether it's the East Valley Chiefs Association or the Arizona Chiefs Association, um, there's regular um, alignment mm-hmm. and understanding. Uh, at least twice a year, at least, we meet with all the Valley Chiefs from the West Valley, our colleagues over there. Uh, so, and our folks work together all the time. So I would argue that in, in, in the metropolitan area, um, we're, we're, we're very similar. Uh, um, proudly, I like to think that we're uh, maybe a notch above, but I think most chiefs would uh, want to say that as well. Uh, but the reality is we're all, uh, we're all very similar. Uh, but the Chandler community, I believe, is what separates us because I came from a very high-performing department with a supportive community, but I've seen nothing like this in my experience. And I have opportunities to talk to chiefs around the country. I'm on the, the board of directors for the International Association of Chiefs of Police. So there's 31,000 members of that association, the, the largest driver of policing um, in, 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 in the country. And uh, I know we have it different here because... Uh, our meetings, uh, we, we, we hear stories. So the job of policing is complex enough, and we all have that in common. Uh, what I don't have to deal with are some of the other complexities that some other chiefs have to deal with because of their uh, community. Um, we are very supported here, and Chandler is a very diverse community. Uh, people may not realize that. Uh, we have about 22% Hispanic population, 10% Asian population, which is the largest Asian population in Arizona. Uh, about 5% African-American population. So we're a very diverse community, and we're proud of that, and it makes us stronger, and um, it's, a, it's a great place to live and an even better place to work. I have to agree on both accounts, having just been here for eight months, as I said earlier. So there, there is kind of a magical intangible that you really can't put a finger on in a community so together, although there are many points you can, you can point out. Uh, the term uh, you hear often in Chandler, it's a small town feel. Uh, 262,000 people is not a small town, but it used to be a small town. And there's still a lot of people that remember that. And there's there's still that camaraderie, that mm-hmm. sense of pride. Uh, so that still resonates uh, strongly. Uh, and you sense that every, every day. Uh, when that goes away, that never comes back. So uh, we certainly want to continue that. Uh, but we don't want to be known as a small town. We're a very progressive town. Yes. Uh, technology is the anchor of our community. Mm-hmm. You look at uh, the Price Corridor and the businesses there. So we're very proud of that as well. But that 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 town is more of a connection between humans, and that's a that's a pretty cool thing to have. Look at that dichotomy of the commerce with all the big box electronic and, and technology and all this, and then 
the down home, the festivals on the weekend are to die for here. And uh, I see your staff there all the time, not in uniform, but because in, the, in places I lived, when you're off the clock, a lot of officers don't want to interact. Right. But it's just the opposite here. Uh, something that's also a little different, especially from my past experience, where the majority of people did not live in the community. Uh, the majority of people that work for our organization either live in our community or very close or grew up in the community. So there's something uniquely different when you have that bond to your employer where uh, your parents may still live here or you went to that high school. Um, there's a little more standing and investment. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that 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 plays into that um, sense of pride. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, we reached the end and you weren't sure you were going to get through an hour. I have a couple of minutes to just give it to you and say, what did we miss? Is there anything you'd like to sum up? Well, I think, uh, <laughs> I think you covered a lot. <laughs> You're right. That, that, that went pretty quick. Um, no, again, I just appreciate the opportunity and, and uh, any chance I have to, um, uh, to discuss our city and our profession. Uh, I'm certainly proud of that. I uh, cannot be more proud of our department. Um, I can't reinforce the fact it comes down to the people. Um, we have very talented people that work very hard and um, not asking for any type of kudos, but the reality is it's a very difficult job at times, very difficult. And you want to have the best people out there making the best decisions. And we're able to ensure that we have the best people out there. So there's a lot of support, uh, certainly from, from the city, but that's the, the community expects nothing less and um, you know, we're proud to be part of the Chandler community. And there's a lot of camaraderie just within the, the, the department. Just being in the, in the citizens class, I, there's a lot of lightheartedness. It doesn't, it's not all, oh, my gosh. No, you, um, uh, you, you have to have a pretty good sense of humor. Again, you, you, you see some crazy things and uh, um, a bit of a coping mechanism, yes. but we do have some, uh, we have some pretty funny people and pe some people that aren't particularly funny that think they're funny, but uh, <laughs> you love them just we, we, we laugh at them. So we do tend to laugh quite a bit. <laughs> That's great because you guys have adrenaline rushing through you all the time. So if you can get some endorphins to kind of cancel that out, it makes yeah. life a little better. And I'll just, if I, just one more part, yes, talk about, uh, you just remind me of something that um, uh, it, it takes a toll physically and mentally at times. And uh, we are doing a much better job, but we continue to do more to focus on the officer's wellness and their health because uh, it's for them to make good decisions and to be out there working hard. They need to be uh, mentally and physically uh, healthy. And uh, we know more now than we've ever known before about the benefits and uh, the need to keep our folks healthy. So that's a, that's a big, uh, it's a big push and it's a big priority as we continue to move forward, taking care of our, our, our folks so they can take care of everyone else. A couple of examples like you have on staff counselors. Uh, right. So we have counselors available, um, uh, but just the breaking down the, maybe the, the past historically not, disclosing you may feel some way you may uh you may have been affected by something i mean every officer has been on months they have some form of ptsd they've seen something so how are we dealing with them and what resources are we providing them um so we make sure that they're they're emotionally healthy when they come to work and when they go home yes and who can shut the door at home and leave it behind that's hard to do so it's how it's the coping skills truly it is because not all of us have the tools to find those skills and you provide that help right Excellent. 
Well, thank you very much for, for the opportunity to be here today. And thank you for being here. And you've been listening to The Naked Truth, hosted by me, Lori Corrigan, and sponsored by Snake Charmer Body Waxing, specifically for men, but also women. The show pays tribute to the valuable contributions men make, both personally and professionally. It's a safe zone for guys to speak their minds amidst the current social climate where they struggle to be heard. See you next time. Hey guys, there's a reason why so few body waxing hair removal studios don't want to deal with your cock and balls. And many that do, shouldn't. All waxers are not created equal. Our boys deserve to be placed upon a pedestal, not in a vice. The gals at Snake Charmer Men's Body Waxing work exclusively with men, on men, and for men, dedicating their careers to providing a safe place both physically and emotionally where we gentlemen are free from the social crosshairs of man bashing. Head over to snakecharmerwaxing.com or click on the sponsor image to see how they wax what others won't. All right, boys, it's time to zip it up and get on out of here. 